0: Our most gracious gracious God God and Heavenly Heavenly Father, Father. we thank you for this time time that that we can spend together. We thank you for your hand upon us. We thank you for your precious word. Lord God, as we open it and we look into it, we pray that you'd speak to us. Help me to handle your word appropriately and uh, speak to us, Lord, through your precious word. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So if you could turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 15 and 16. Um, I think a familiar passage, Curtis Knapp, covered this um, maybe about a year ago. But uh, we're going to look at something a little bit different than what he covered. So Revelation 3, verses 15 and 16. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot, or cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm... And neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Over the past couple of weeks, I've really been thinking about this verse a lot. Um, I live in southern Iowa, and it's summertime here. And, oh boy, is it really, really summertime here. Uh, This week, we've been extremely hot and humid. In fact, yesterday afternoon, our heat index was 121 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 49 degrees Celsius. I'm... Very grateful for air conditioning right now. But we also have extreme temperature differences between summer and winter. Come January, we'll probably have at least a day or two where the wind chill will be around 20 degrees below zero Fahrenheit or lower. That's minus 29 Celsius. With a little simple math, this means that we can have up to 140 degrees difference in the extreme temps and what meteorologists call the real feel. But what actually is hot and cold, and how is it defined? Very plainly said, heat is thermal energy, and cold is the absence of thermal energy. Stuff becomes hotter when heat is added and colder when heat is taken away. The world that God created and the natural laws to which all things must obey are quite fascinating to me. One of those laws that man has entitled the second law of thermodynamics Um, really applies to heat and cold. I found a very simple definition of the law. Um, In its most distilled essence, it's this. The second law of thermodynamics means hot things always cool unless you do something to stop them. The sun adds heat to the earth. Last night at 11 p.m., the heat index here was not 121 degrees. It was only 84. We were losing heat from our atmosphere because of this physical law. The air temperature was dropping because the earth had rotated and the sun was shining on a different part of the world. The hot air in my location was no longer able to keep from losing heat because the, so, the sun was no longer adding heat to it. <clears throat> Your own body would assume room temperature if God had not designed intricate bodily systems to generate thermal energy to continually add in heat that is lost. This law is everywhere in our world, and it is essential to our existence. Stop and think for a moment how much you and I are at the mercy of this law. We get cold, so we turn up the furnace to add more thermal energy to our home. Or we put on more layers to hasten the heat loss from our bodies. We get warm, so we remove layers to speed the removal of heat, or we adjust the temperature on our air conditioner. We add ice to our glass to remove heat from our tea. We use a barbecue grill or the stovetop or the oven to generate and transfer heat to cook our food. We eat calories to be used as the fuel our bodies need to regulate our temperature. The list goes on and on and on. Um, But the basic premise is that we must do something to keep thermal energy moving in the direction we want and or need it to move. But with all that being said, I'm convinced that the second law of thermodynamics applies just as much to our spiritual lives as it does to our physical world. Why do we grow lukewarm in our walk with the Lord? Why do we lose our heat? I'm convinced it's because of the second law of thermodynamics. We are not sourcing and directing the heat appropriately. Firstly, we can grow lukewarm when we transfer our heat to other things Than God's service. We live in a society that is so temporally prosperous, and the vast majority of us have never had want for anything. There are countless distractions, countless entertainments, countless shiny objects, countless secular pursuits that we so easily transfer our heat to. Even good things like work, exercise, and family pursuits have the ability to take away our heat from the Lord. Secondly, we can grow lukewarm when we neglect or minimize the means of grace. Diligently studying God's word is like the sun shining on the earth. When we mine the riches of the scriptures, we're adding in heat and preventing a drift toward lukewarmness. As it says in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Do we not become ashamed when we neglect the study of his word and an admission that we have become lukewarm? When we fellowship with the Lord in prayer, we come before his almighty throne and into his very presence. If we look at Psalm 84, it says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So we come into God's presence. And in this verse, he's compared to the sun the sun that provides heat to the earth. Does not God provide heat to our spiritual life when we're in prayer with him? Sitting under the preaching of the word, have you not felt the stinging rebuke from the Lord through his servant behind the pulpit or a clarion call to action or a warming of your soul? God uses preaching to apply heat. 1 Corinthians one eighteen says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God, the power of God transferring heat to our spiritual lives. A fourth means of grace I will mention is fellowship with other believers. This has a tremendous heat transferring effect on us. I can't count the number of times that I've left this united prayer call so warmed by the prayers of my brothers and sisters, or experienced the soul-heating effects of sitting in my living room with a dear brother in the Lord, and turning over scriptures and sharing what the Lord has been teaching us. I think of Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen: iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And you know, any time that you are sharpening iron, you're actually generating heat. So that um, fellowship with other believers, it provides heat into our spiritual lives. But thirdly, we can grow lukewarm when we have sin in our lives. When we have sin in our lives, our heat is unrighteously transferred to those sins. Isaiah 59, too, says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Jesus had stinging words about lukewarmness. Back in our verse, he said, so then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. In no uncertain terms, this is a rejection of those that sit on the fence. Those that would allow the cares of this world to steal the heat that rightfully belongs to Christ is who he's speaking about here. Did Christ give up his very life so that we could play a half-hearted, lukewarm Christian? The scriptures teach nothing of the sort. Matthew Henry had this to say in his commentary about this verse. As lukewarm water turns the stomach and provokes to a vomit, lukewarm professors turn the heart of Christ against them. He is sick of them and cannot long bear them. They may call their lukewarmness charity, meekness, moderation, and a largeness of soul. It is nauseous to Christ and makes those so that allow themselves in it. They shall be rejected and finally rejected for far be it from the holy Jesus to return to that which has thus been rejected. Finally, I want to look at the word cold in our verse. Jesus mentions it three times in two verses. It must be really, really important. I've read several explanations of this, and quite honestly, while I find merit in these different explanations, I'm just not totally satisfied with them. I think there might be something else that Jesus is trying to tell us about being cold. One commentator says that this is an icy coldness, a sinner yet still dead in his trespasses, one that was never warmed. Therefore, there's still opportunity for such a one to be saved, which is why Jesus says he would prefer that we were hot or cold versus a lukewarm professor mixing the world with religion. I can buy part of that. Another commentator says this coldness has to do with Christ using it as a comparison to the other end of the spectrum from hot to better illustrate what this lukewarmness is. However, the Greek word for cold that's used in these verses is only used four times in the entire New Testament. It is the word sucrose. It's used three times in Revelation 3, 15 to 16. And the only other time, the fourth time it's used is in Matthew 10, 42, where Christ says, and whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. So I think that the intention here might be cold as in that refreshing cup of water provided in a time of need. Cold is in a kind word, or a caring deed, or empathetic compassion towards another. I posit this coldness is really a practical living out of our faith in service to our fellow men. We must pray diligently that God would revive His church, that His power would be made manifest, that His glory and His glory alone would be the chief concern of every single soul that professes His name and that he would remove every trace of lukewarmness from us. May he answer our cries as we seek his face today. Amen.